the core cast. Welcome to the Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast of the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast where the class is Pain 101 in your instructor's image fight. Oh yeah! I'm Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups, and with me as always, I have... Belfro, also known as Game Boy Guru. And if you would like to connect with us, uh, there are several ways to do that. You can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Um, make sure you check our Linktree page to find the links to all the different feeds where you can get the podcast. That is linktr.ee slash ShootTheCoreCast. Uh, join RFGeneration.com and join us with a Shmup Club playthrough there on the forums. Uh, if you would, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. And also join the RF Generation Discord channel, which is linked on the front page of rfgeneration.com. And we've got a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there, where you can come discuss the game of the month, uh, the podcast episodes, or shmups in general. And of course, you can also follow me on Twitch to get notifications of new streams, since I do stream the Shmup Club game of the month multiple times during the course of the month. Uh, that is twitch.com slash guru game boy. Yeah. And I really like the database at RF generation. You know, there's been many times where I've been searching, searching and said, do I really have flappy bird for the PS4? I know I have it for the Nintendo entertainment system, the game boy, the game boy color, and even the Amico. But uh, do I really have it for the PS4? And it saved me a lot of time. Yeah, I, I thought about picking up Flappy Bird for the PS4, but I'm kind of waiting for the DX version. Oh, yeah, that's good. Plus, you get the DLC on the... On the you know, I recommend the, the PS5 version. It really takes advantage of the SSD. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, have to, I'll have to think about that when I get a PS5. Yeah, in the year... Uh, check back in 2030. <laughs> All right, so before we kick things off here, or as we're kicking things off, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the question of the month that I threw out on Twitter. Uh, we didn't get that many responses this time, but I think we got a, a handful of, of good ones. So first up is at underscore shoot the core, who says, Brave Blade lets you transform your ship into a robot and use melee attacks, but there's never much of a reason to do it except leveling up point medals. Uh, and I understand that. Now, I kind of dig that aspect of, of Brave Blade. It's one of the things that I think makes it a little bit unique compared to the other rising shooters. But I understand why you might think that is, uh, you know, underbaked or underdeveloped. And yeah, still, anything with transforming robots, that's definitely a plus in my book. It could transform into a toaster or a Segway, and I'd still like it. 
<laughs> well, what about a toaster that segues? Oh, a good segue. All right. <laughs> Our next comment is from at FireSharkMD, also known as Corkman. Betsagun has the experience in level up system, but you generally get level up at the same times that every run, and the levels are capped at three. There should be a way to get even higher or more powerful levels, like maybe a Ketsui chip-like system where you experience quicker. Yeah, I really did like the Ket system in Ketsui, and darn it, just reading that made me want to play it again. Mm. Yeah, and you know, I, I think, I think I would tend to agree with what uh, Corkman is saying because, yeah, generally speaking, you're going to level up about the same place every run in Batsugun, unless you are purposely avoiding certain enemies or not shooting some things down, which in a shooting game kind of seems self-defeating. So, yeah, it does It does feel like they tried to do something new with it, but it wasn't fully developed when, uh, when they made that move. You know, it's surprising that you say self-defeating. That's actually a valid way to deal with our February game of the month. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what I saw a highly skilled Japanese player do. Mm, okay. Very neat. Uh, at Don Makumanji says, Violent Soldier slash Sinistron. Crappy charged circle attack. Not powerful enough. No real situations in the game to use it. And yeah, that creating situations in the game where you require or where you can use it, add more damage to it as a risk-reward weapon. Um, this is one I can't really speak to that much because I don't own a copy of Sinistron yet and haven't haven't messed with it much. Um, uh, but I do know that I've spoken about Sinistron in other contexts because of the uh, sort of beak kind of thing that's on the front of the ship and that implementation, which I always thought was kind of cool, but uh, <laughs> I've spoken to some other people who, who uh, you know, never cared for that either. Our next comment comes to us from Ed Hauser. I have the opposite. Saw the gimmick underdeveloped gameplay, and that's Bioship Paladin. Yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time with Bioship Paladin either. I, I remember playing it in emulation years ago um, on my PC, just messing around with the Genesis version and thinking, yeah, this is kind of neat, you know, an interesting and different way of approaching things. But yeah, I would I would have to agree that it's probably a little bit underbaked. Um, and it, it doesn't help that the that your ship sprite is huge. So, <clears throat> so it probably makes the game feel clunkier than it needs to be. Uh, so thank you everyone for your responses. Uh, like I said, not a lot of feedback this month, but uh, I think, you know, we got some solid, solid suggestions. For myself, I'm going to go with Soldis or Solfis, depending on which version you play. Um, the uh, Sega CD or cartridge version. And I think because you've got you've got a mechanic in the game that was done much better just a few years later 
in a much better game. Um, and that is the weapon augmentation. Uh, you can attach different weapon types to the top and bottom of your of your ship. And there's kind of a way that you can move forward or move back to sort of angle the weapon arms out different a uh, little bit so that you can shoot you know at a slight angle or what have you but it doesn't feel very useful and there are really only a couple of what I consider pretty good weapons in the game um, so the whole thing feels like it's underdeveloped and Einhander came around just a few short years later and completely took that concept and ran with it and did something amazing. So, yeah, for me, it's got to be Soldies. Yeah, that's a good choice. For me, it has to be just throwing stuff into Shmouse just because someone can. And for something like this, I'm referring to uh, Odometius with the uh, lovely touch sensor. <laughs> that was built into the controllers and stuff. It's not something you normally get to play through, but it just feels, well, uh, creepy and tacked on. So, I, yeah. yeah, I don't need touch sensors for my thing. Just like, um, I don't need to hear about people's adventures with a trans vibrator rest. Oh, right. Yeah. Honorable mention for uh, any game that that throws that kind of stuff at you unnecessarily. I shouldn't feel like a, I need a shower after I play your STG. <laughs> that, yes, that's true. Well, now let's move into our focus shot, where we'll be discussing our focus game of the year, which is Mushihime-sama. Um, and I, I spent a little bit of time with this earlier today because I wanted to... I wanted to see if I could nail down a couple of things that I had been struggling with. One of which is, um, for some reason, I just have an issue with the Stage 2 mid-boss. Its final pattern, I, I, I struggle with. Um, and also, one of its first patterns, I, I was getting caught by it far too often. So I did a little bit of, of practice with it, and I found that if you can position your ship or your, uh, your character correctly, you should be able to sit in one spot during that first wave of you know pattern bullets and not get hit. <clears throat> and the way that I found to do it is to position yourself just a little bit to the right of kind of the center of the crab or lobster or whatever it is and kind of not quite overlapping the the claw but getting close to it um, and then at the very bottom of the screen and I managed to do a few practice runs where I was able to just kind of sit there and have the bullets go by me um, and not feel like I had to make little adjustments to move left and right. So I think that might be a solid strategy. I, I'll, I'll probably have to go and watch a couple of, of higher level playthroughs and see if if uh, 
someone else has a better way of doing it. The other thing with the the stage two, two mid boss is that final pattern. I hate it and it always gets me. So <laughs> I'm just bombing it because uh, I can't be I can't be bothered to to learn that. Uh, you know, it'd be much more in my interest to learn a complex pattern later in the game. Um, and then the stage two boss, for some reason, I was having difficulty with it, and so uh, I did some practice on that. Stage three, uh, there's a couple of spots that trip me up, and so I was also doing some stage three practice, trying to get a little bit more consistency with all of the area kind of leading up to the final portion of that large battleship bug, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I've got a little bit more, a little bit more going on there and a better ability to sort of go with the flow um, and kind of know where to position myself to be safe from certain waves or what movements I need to make in order to dodge specific patterns or specific um, groups of enemies. So I think I'm, I think I'm uh, close to getting a consistent route through stage three. Congratulations. That's a big accomplishment. And things fly at you constantly on Battleship Bug or stage three. I know that the, uh, when you go to the left or the right wings or sides, there's a little portion that is by itself. It's pretty weak. When you initially get scrolled over to that, you can hit that, and that will do a big bullet cancel on a lot of the um, sort of radio shots that come out. Yep. And give you that makes things a lot easier on there. I mean, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm, uh, I practiced primarily on stage three, and I ended up with times where I would lose one and at most two lives now, so I'm getting a lot farther on it. It's just learning where some of the safer spots are and what, what the attacks are coming a lot. I'm still using the really quick shot and then holding it down. It, it basically turned to almost like a one-butt game, but it seems to work well for destroying the popcorn and then quickly switching up to focus fire and then and it, stage three, like Katsui, it expects you to stop on a dime a lot of times for maneuvering where you're going to be going slow and methodical with your focus shot, and then you're going to instantly switch it up to take care of some popcorn, or even the medium-sized enemies in Mushi need to be taken care of with a, a fast, rapid shot. There's very yeah. few yeah, cases where you actually want to use focus shot on medium-sized enemies. What... Um let me ask you this: What power-up style are you are you going with? I'm going with P. I believe is the the, the one that I'm going with. There's F, okay. A, and P, isn't there? No, there's there's um, M, W, and S. Oh, <laughs> way off so there. <laughs> M is M is the top one in the list. It's the bottom one. Okay, the bottom one is the one you're using. Yeah. Okay, so that's S. S, yeah. That's what I'm going with as well. That's what I've settled on, because I think the... Because each one has a different movement speed. Right. And I think S, even though it doesn't have the the wide swath that the W gives you, or the sort of medium swath or, you know, path 
that the that the M gives you, I think the S gives you a little bit more speed so that you can make your quick movements where you need to be and then sit there. And I, I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but one thing I'm learning about playing Mushi is learning the discipline of economy of movement. I've always been someone who in the past, especially as a kid and even as a younger adult playing these games, I want to move around the screen a lot. I want to, you know, move everywhere so I can get in front of an enemy and take him out and, and, uh, you know, go and take out these threats and, and stuff. Or I want to be able to move out of the way of bullets because I'm used to, you know, I'm still, there's still part of me that is used to playing old school shoot 'em ups all the time as a kid and having to macro around everything. Um, whereas a game like Mushi, of course, you're going to have to micro dodge through patterns or uh, in different situations. And so I'm learning that in a lot of ways, what you need to do is find a spot on the screen, go there, accomplish what you want, and then don't move again until you need to move somewhere else to either set up another uh, another safe position or to take out a wave of enemies or because there's uh, a, a wave of bullets or a pattern coming that you're going to need to dodge around or through. And so trying not to move erratically around the screen so much, but finding ways to sort of go where I need to go, stay put, and then, um, uh, you know, and then, uh, what am I trying to say? Yeah, yeah. And then just move when I need to. If I would watch a video by you called Defining Your Safe Space, Defining Your Own Safe Space in Don Maku Games. I would go for that. No, I know what you mean. What you're trying to... You mentioned that Mark MSX did this, and you were surprised by how little he moves around the screen and how yeah. much he micro-dodges. And it's true. It sort of reminds me of when we were kids, and I think everybody, when they press the A button to make Mario jump, they sort of lifted up their hands. Right. I, I think it's along those same veins where you... It's not really fight or flight, but you, you just start kicking in when you, you got kinetic movement going along with it, and it's hard to steer something down and then, go, oh, this is not going to hit me. It, it takes some skill, it takes some dedication, and a lot of practice. It, it, it's something that and it takes some time, and I, I could definitely see myself at learning that. And you know, I, I can't, well. Just say I'm no expert at it, but it's something that I have been learning as I've been on this uh, shmup journey. Yeah. And the other thing I've been noticing more in stage four, Battleship Bug it constantly bombards you with popcorn, but I noticed that the popcorn doesn't seem to do very much. It's almost like a psychological effect. They, they rarely shoot at you, at least on the standard difficulty. It's really the other bullets that will get you because they're trying to make you focus so much on the popcorn. Mm. The popcorn never seems to bother me when I'm 
in there, it, it's usually the other shots because I'm so busy trying to focus on getting away from the constant stream of popcorn. Right. There, there there's a term for you: constant stream of popcorn. <laughs> so, uh, but stage four and five, man, those those stages are pretty tough. I have been, uh, as Mark would say, I've been continuously routing those, my dude, trying yeah. to find find the best way to do it, and they're definitely difficult. I don't find them as difficult as I did with Futari stage four for or yeah Futari stage four, and that is extremely fast movement. This is more manageable. It's just a lot more enemies coming at you more frequently. So, yeah. interesting, but it's definitely more manageable. And I could see why people like this game quite a bit. I still like Futari more, but it's certainly enjoyable enough for me to keep coming back to it month after month. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when I have stage three down to the point where I can where I can clear it. Uh, when I say consistently, I mean somewhere in the fifty to seventy percent of the time range. <laughs> um, because then once I can once I can start building up a stages one through three and I'm doing a pretty good job of getting through that, uh, I won't say unscathed, but, you know, maybe only losing one life, then that's when I will start learning and routing Stage 4 in earnest. And hopefully I'll be able to, uh, I'll be able to make some good progress with that. Yeah, I think you're definitely on your way to there. So I think that's all we've got for Focus Shot this month, unless you've got anything else to add. Play more Mushi. Yes. And let us know if you're playing along with us and what your thoughts are. Um, I know we had, uh, we've had we had a little bit of, of uh, participation, so I would definitely like to hear from other people. Well, I should, there is one other thing that we should say regarding Mushi. Isn't the PC version on sale at Fanatical right now? I think it might be, yes. I think it's like $8 or something like that on Fanatical.com. Yeah, Dejica is doing a, a sale. Um, so that would be that would be covered under that. Um, not sure if that'll still be going on by the time the episode gets edited and out, but... Um, it'll probably be worth checking into regardless. So with that, let's move into shmup news. Uh, I didn't think I was going to have a ton for this month, but, uh, ended up filling it in with a few odds and ends. So first off, there have been some recent, uh, games coming out through arcade archives. Uh, we had thunder dragon two and dangerous seed that came out, uh, not that long ago, and then Dragon Spirit just released, I want to say, uh, about a week ago from the day we're recording this, and then also the uh, ACA version of Terra Cresta had a caravan mode added, uh, kind of as a nod to the um, the uh, recent release of Soul Cresta, 
And the Arcade Archives line also celebrated its fifth anniversary, which is crazy to think about. But, yeah, it has been about five years, hasn't it? Time flies when you're working from home. Yeah. Uh, there's a new shoot 'em up that's out on Steam and Itch called Softstar. And uh, according to a recent tweet from the dev, may be coming to consoles soon. So uh, this one, for some reason, escaped my radar until just a, a few weeks ago. Um, but it looks solid, and there's a bit of buzz about it in the shmup uh, online community. So I'll be curious to see more footage of the game. Um, the uh, if Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard that the 3DS and Wii U eShops are closing next year. And once we get to the end of May, you won't be able to add any funds. So if there are any virtual console games or exclusive stuff that you want on either of those systems, you want to probably get to uh, adding funds and making those purchases now. A couple of examples would be Metal Torrent on the 3DS, um, the Fantasy Zone 2 3D version, which uh, M2 did, or... Um, one notable one that we've already covered is Ghostblade HD um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because Ed did the soundtrack, the arranged soundtrack, I should say. Yep. And then also, as uh, uh, D. Tungsten noted when he followed along and played that month, you can actually play Tate mode on the Wii U gamepad, which is kind of a neat feature. Yeah, it's also um, the only game that has a singing mosquito for the soundtrack. Nah. But uh, there are some also some uh, some Turbo Graphics games that are on the Wii U Virtual Console, uh, including some shmups. So if if you're if you're in the market for that, and you have uh, those systems still, you might want to check those out uh, and make sure that you um, you know go buy that stuff before you can't. Um, we mentioned Soul Cresta before. Speaking of which, um, the uh, that game has recently released, and the dramatic mode, which is the story mode or story content, is currently DLC for the digital version, but uh, is likely going to be included in the physical release that's later to come. Yeah, Soul Cresta is an interesting one. I I saw a little bit about the Digital Foundry video on how the scaling is uneven. I really hope they get that fixed right. for the backgrounds. And I, for those looking to pre-order, I believe Limited Run is doing it orders until the 20th of March. Is that right? I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, you could be right about that. Uh, there's a there's a Dojin shooter called Ikusan, um, which has a bunch of A's in it. Uh, it's out on Steam. It uh, was originally released in 2016, um, but just recently got a, a Western release on Steam. I don't really know much about this. I've, I heard some, uh, or I saw some people talking about it a few months ago on one of the discords, and um, it seems like people enjoy it, but I haven't played it. Um, but uh, that's a new a new game that's available, or new to us anyway, in terms of a Western release. 
there's also a couple of Toho fan games out on itch.io now. Uh, Rainbow Cave Raid, and then Toho Danmuki Spellbroken Dream Festival. Uh, I haven't looked at either of these yet, but I saw information about them and, and figured I would pass that on. I, I think it's a law in Japan that you have to have at least two, two to a whole games per month now. <laughs> uh, you might be right. Um, a composer named Elizide Elizade, has released the soundtrack for the forthcoming indie shmup Z-Warp on Bandcamp. Uh, and I mention this because they, the, that uh, composer also did the the soundtrack to Void Gore. Um, and so uh, that might be of interest. Uh, I'm not going to get into this too much. I'll just mention, you might remember there was a Kickstarter campaign for a, uh, a Japanese developer or Japanese style shmup called Steam Pilots. And it was a successful Kickstarter. They raised something like 10 million yen. And there was an artist involved in the game that uh, um, that was apparently supposed to be attached to the product or the project and had done art for the project, but um, there was some dispute over the involvement or the extent to, to which that individual was going to work on the things. Like I said, I don't know the whole story. It's up on automaton-media.com. And the site's in Japanese, but, um, you know, if you use a modern browser, you can you can translate it so you can kind of get a general idea of what's going on. But this project could be in jeopardy due to um, the uh, artist potentially backing out and no longer being involved and they may have to scrap some stuff. So what you, what you saw in the, uh, in the, uh, um, the Kickstarter video and stuff may not end up being anything like what the final product turns out to be. So, like I said, I don't, I don't want to get into it too much, but there has been some, some legal action, involved in this thing and uh so if if you're looking forward to that game just understand that it there may be delays and um you know they've run into some roadblocks uh there's a new pico 8 shooter called picodius which is a sort of gradius boss rush fan game and uh that looked kind of neat pico 8 is sort of a I guess you would call it a fake platform that's supposed to be similar to an early microcomputer or 8-bit type console, uh, and it's kind of a development environment that people can can create uh, pixel art-based games and things in, and uh, it's kind of neat. The Taito Egret 2 Mini is out now. And um, I know there have been several people that have their hands on on a unit. Uh, Ed from Bullet Heaven has uh, apparently got his and some additional controllers. And I know that Shmup Junkie has already been digging into it and uh, will be 
putting a review out of the unit here pretty soon. And My Life in Gaming did a live stream of it last Sunday. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, let's see. Livewire has released patches for all three of the cave games they've put out on Switch. Um, they fixed a an issue with music overlapping during the bosses, um, replay, playback issues, and then also fixing the combo counter in uh, Donopach Daifukatsu. So, um, uh, specifically, thank you to Elixir for posting that, for tweeting that out. I wanted to make sure that I uh, that I mentioned that. And then last but not least, uh, there's an indie shmup called Jetboard Joust that has been out for a while on PC, Mac, Linux, Switch, and even Atari VCS. Uh, and that is now out for Xbox and PlayStation as well. So if you have seen some stuff about that game but weren't able to get it because it wasn't on your Xbox or PlayStation, you can now do so. There's two that I want to add into this. First, we have the Taito Milestones Collection, which is coming stateside via publisher ININ. It's about $40. You can pre-order it on Amazon. It has Space Seeker and Haley's Comet. It's pretty neat, and I I expect these to sell decently well. But the main one that you want to watch out for, and as of today this went up, also from Ian and is Cotton Fantasy, which is uh, I always get this mixed up if it's either rock and roll cotton or cotton rock and roll, but it's the English and U.S. release of the latest cotton game, and I am definitely looking forward to that. That comes out on May twentieth. Yeah, I'm not sure why they decided to change the name from Cotton Rock and Roll to Cotton Fantasy for the Western release, but. I don't know. It seems silly, but I guess, uh, you know, sometimes they feel like they have to do that. You know, it's okay. I mean, I'm confused by the title sometimes, even here. I originally read it instead of superlative night dreams, as super laxative night dreams, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Superlative night dreams, oh, yes. yes. So, you know, hey, it's, uh, could just be I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, perhaps, but yeah, I'm glad that you brought up Cotton, uh, Cotton Fantasy because yeah, that's definitely one that um, from everything that I've seen, both reviews and watching some people stream it. Uh, I haven't played it myself yet, but I've watched some people stream Cotton Rock and Roll, and it looks really good. Yeah, I've heard and some really, really good, good stuff too. I don't think it was Aquas, but there was somebody who was streaming it on Twitch recently, and they had already beaten everything, but it. It looked really, really good. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I was watching Neo Antoine. Neo uh, Antoine, that's who it was. Yeah, on Twitch here a couple weeks ago, stream it, and it just looks really good. So definitely looking forward to that. Ready for some super laxative dreams? (laughs) Yeah, some super laxative dreams. All right, so let's get started on the game of the month for february 2022 and the participants the game of course was irem's image fight and the participations are sorry participants were metalfro addicted Gollum, full macho and our new member arrow viper thank you all for joining us yes and welcome arrow viper and so 
Image Fight was developed and published by Irem and released in Japanese arcades in 1988. Interestingly enough, the only Western release was the NES or Famicom release, which was done by Irem themselves. I think that it was due partially due to the weird relationship between Nintendo and Irem. I know that Irem gave them, or made a special agreement to give them Spartan X, also known as Kung Fu here in Ten Yard Fight, to the Black Box launch titles for the Nintendo Entertainment System. In return, they got to give us Squoon and Image Fight. I... <laughs> Uh, it, and Nintendo helped publish uh, R-Type in the arcades. So, you know, in well, Super R-Type too, and for the Super Nintendo. So, I, I, it's always an interesting relationship. I know there's some information out there, but I would be really interested in knowing more about how that worked out. So, Image Fight was developed on Irem's M72 hardware alongside other shooters such as Air Duel, R-Type, and R-Type 2, Battle Chopper, also known as Mr. Heli, and you know, insert your own get-in-the-chopper joke later, uh, <laughs> Dragon Breed, and Armed Police Unit Gallop. That's a pretty good company. Indeed. As we mentioned earlier, home versions were released for the Famicom NES, PC Engine, Sharp X68000, and FM Towns. The arcade version was made as a double pack with Irem's X Multiply on PlayStation and Saturn. Those two were Japanese releases only. And the NES version was released on the Wii and Wii U Virtual Console. It's interesting that R-Type Final features the Image, Shop fight, image fight Chip as, as Pods' own. Homage to it. I, uh, I always find it fascinating how popular this game is in Japan versus something that the R type that was ported on there. I don't. I, I guess I'm curious to see if Image Fight was ported to U.S. arcades, if it would be more well known along the lines of Gradius or R type itself. You know, what could have been? Right. Well, and. You wonder if it's just that Image Fight got a little bit of the Zevius effect in Japan. Yeah, that did sort of take over for everything. <clears throat> so, oh, in speaking of the arcade release, in, in Japan, Game Machine listed Image Fight on their December 15th, 1988 issue as being the most successful table arcade unit on operator survey during the, that two-week period. A sequel game appeared as a PC Engine exclusive in ja in Japan only, and I have to say it has one of the best stories I have heard in a long, long time. <laughs> All right, everybody, get your popcorn and get your drinks, because here we go. On a fateful day in 20XX, the Earth's moon exploded into four large fragments and a multitude of meteors. Aliens from afar had succeeded in destroying the West moon base. One after another, mankind's other military-industrial space complexes were being lost. What mankind dreaded had come to pass. Scores of unidentified fighters were in the area. In addition to the moon's main computer still intact after the explosion, it had a strange vegeta vegetation coiled around it. 
their trademark evil exploits being a dead giveaway. Invaders from the Boondoogle galaxy had arrived to take over the Earth. To counter these evil forces, leading scientists from all over the globe created the OF-1 fighter ship. Combat pilots depart the Earth to fend off the invaders and earn everlasting glory. <laughs> For great justice, indeed. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I think part of the reason why they exploded the moon is because there was no Tex-Maxium. I'd be pissed, too, if, if I came all the way and there was no Tex-Maxium. Well, yeah, but at least there was the strange vegetation, so maybe you yeah. could have a side salad with your Tex Maxium. Maybe you could, or maybe they're just maybe maybe it's just uh, they've um, four twenty the computer. <laughs> <laughs> we're growing we're growing some Mary Jane on the moon now. <laughs> wow, <laughs> some strange vegetation indeed. Oh man, no, I well, I, I have to say uh, Boondog over. It's up there with the Radon Bungling Bay story. It's, oh yeah. yeah, it's this is great. No, it's it's right up there with the Wizard King from the Moon, or or the uh, story time under. Oh, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sure somebody had a lot of fun writing these things. Yeah, well, and I think this was the you know this was just the story from the NES manual. I don't know how how uh, accurate that is to the game's original story in the arcade. But, I mean, i got to believe that someone from IREM, Japan, did not come up with the Boondoggle Galaxy. <laughs> you know, when I see Boondoggle Galaxy, it reminds me a lot of something you see like in an iMagic game. Like this is this is the actual story that was supposed to go into Demon Attack, but the guy couldn't use it at the time. Yeah, he was too busy building models of Godzilla with a rocket ship painted silver. <laughs> so he so he kept it all this time, and he could finally use it for image fight. Yeah, the demon attack cover art is a thing of legend and a thing of beauty, and great justice. Indeed. All right. Well, it's time to move on. Zig, tell us about the gameplay. You pilot the OF-1 Daedalus, which has a twin-firing forward shot as your default. And uh, there are green spinning capsules that you'll see throughout different levels. And if you shoot them enough, they will open up and reveal a, a weapon pod. And there are two different pod upgrades that you can get. There's the red pod which will fire in whatever direction is opposite that you're moving. And then there's the blue pod, which is always fixed in a forward firing position. Yeah, so they basically ripped off the Matrix. <laughs> you must choose, Neo. No, I... I... <laughs> if you take the red pod, you can shoot in any direction. If you take the blue pod, you can only fire forward. Yeah, I mean, for the most part in this game, the blue pod is, except for like stage one and certain parts in stage four, the blue pod's useless. I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah, I, 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 I wonder if, and I'll say say this from a, a gameplay. Uh, I'm a, I, I really do like Image Fight. I think it's neat. I, it's a shame that it never got a really a, 
a proper port until the arcade archives, which we'll talk about in a little bit. <clears throat> but one of the things that I wish they had done is I, I, um, I, I'll just come out and say it. Image Fight is them trying to think of what to do next since they invented the for, used the Force Bit. And the Force Bit works so well for gameplay and being inventive. And, it, and here they're just trying to figure out what what are they going to do next. And I, I think they struggled a little bit. Where these feel just sort of have baked, they're not. They couldn't figure out what to replace the force bit with. I don't think it detracts enough from the game to, because the game is great. Uh, but I, I think this this is where we get into our question of the month, and it's it's not quite as good because you can't use them really for eating or cancel. You know those big juicy cancels of those bullets. It just doesn't work that way, and have, allowing you to sort of use them as you know discus, I, I guess, like like in Tron, and shoot them out as neat feature, but it, it really leaves you open to being shot pretty up pretty quickly. Yeah. So it, it, it this is the part of the game that's probably the least thought out, or it needs a little bit of a rework. <clears throat> right. Now you can you can outfit your OF one with up to three pods. You get one on each side and then one in the uh, at the rear of the ship. Um, you can also launch the pods forward from the ship as an attack. The pods can pass through some obstacles, so they they can be effective against enemies that you might otherwise not be able to attack until you get closer. Uh, and then after you launch the pods, they sort of go forward and then flip out a little ways to the side and then come back to the side of your ship. Yeah, that's one of the things that I thought was well done with the pods. They at least allow you to use them like options and Gradius. So you stage four boss, you really had to shove your right side pod up up the, the side of that boss in order to do damage quickly. Yeah. The one thing that the one thing that bothers me about the the pod launching is with the red pods when the pods come back then they're always facing behind you every time every time you launch the pods then they always end up facing behind you and it, it that seems weird to me and I'm not sure why but it seems counterintuitive the, your ship has adjustable speed, which is a nice change from having to get speed up power-ups in the R-Type series. There are four different speed levels. Uh, your ship defaults to speed level one, uh, and then you can go up to two, three, or four. And the interesting thing is, once you get to four, instead of wrapping back around to one again, then it goes backwards. So you go one, two, three, four, three, two, one. Um... And uh, that comes into play with uh, one of the other mechanics, which is when you are firing your thrusters to change speed, the actual flames that come out from your thrusters, sort of a blue, a blue flame, can damage enemies and act as a weapon. Uh, and so that's something that you will need to use at different points during the game. Yeah, you know, I found that speed four 
See, you know, it could just as well be called ludicrous speed, right? Um, I would agree with that. You know, I, I think Rockon calls the, that uh, medium. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, yeah, you're mostly sticking between two and three. Unless you are a Japanese super player and can really effectively use your jets to burn up enemies. It's fun to do. You know, and it's something that you don't see very often. I think there's only two other games that did it, right? We had the one last month, which was uh, Airzonk, and then there was Einhander. And very few games actually did this. And this may be the first game that does it. Nice. Uh, there are also some some upgrades that you can get to the front of your ship. Um, I guess you would call them force like the like the R type force, um, the difference is these have specific uh, fire or weapon types that are inherent to each one, and um, they can only sustain one hit, and they're not detachable like the R type force pod. So I don't know how many there are in the game in total. I I've got six that I noted in the in the outline here. So there's the uh, twin forward shot, which is a very strong forward shot. You've got the angled twin shot, which uh, you can get in stage one. There's the angled ring shot. There's the twin homing shot, which fires two lasers upward, and then they sort of do this 90-degree turn to whatever the closest enemy is that's up and to the right or left of you. And then there's the barrier... Uh, which you basically hold the button down and it creates this small little barrier out in front of you so that you can plow through popcorn enemies and bullets and things. Uh, There's also a 45-degree angled twin shot that is like bouncy balls, and so it'll ricochet off different walls and and enemies and things. Uh, If there are more than that, I didn't encounter them. Yeah, I I think that it's varied enough, but I I had a little bit of a problem with the. I, in fact, I don't think they're all in the Famicom version for the shot types, but at least they were, they had, were distinct enough that you could tell what the heck you were doing and shooting. So kudos to them on the Famicom version for its limited palette. Right. But the, the arcade yeah, is where I, it really shines. You can get a better idea of what the heck's going on. Yeah. I know for sure that some of them are missing from the, the Famicom version. Um, now, the game plays out over eight regular stages. The first five of those are in kind of a virtual space, which is sort of the whole reason for the name Image Fight. Um, so think of a think of a giant Star Trek holodeck where you're in a spaceship and you're out shooting stuff. Uh, and so after you play each stage, depending on your performance and the percentage of enemies that you shot down, then you're ranked for that. Anything above a ninety percent, and basically you pass. Um, if you get less than 90% destruction in a particular stage, then then you don't even meet the minimum threshold. And if you end up with less than 
in the aggregate across all five stages, then you get penalized for that, essentially, and then you have to play a sixth, more difficult stage known as the penalty zone, um, where <laughs> there's a ton of enemies and they're all shooting at you and it's it's pandemonium. Now, I, I will say two things on this. One, when we first saw this on here, I described it as a shmup driver's license. <laughs> I, I think that's the key for this. But the one thing I saw from the Japanese super player was he purposely timed out the bosses in order to get below 90%. Oh. And by doing so, he got to the penalty zone. It sounds like a place in uh, Fanny's Zone Extra or something, right? Welcome to the penalty <laughs> zone. But, <laughs> but he, he, by doing so, he was able to max out his score. Oh, of course. So, that, I mean, if, if you're really good, that is definitely a route you want to take. But I, I was... It was interesting to watch your... your that it's a, sort of a simulation, you know, a, a training simulation. It's not... I think the first time I've ever seen that within a shmup. I certainly can't think of any others that really do it. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a... I'm not sure it's a... It's well-tread well-trod territory. Yeah, you know, I I have to say, though, I wonder about the computer that's running all this. This is 88, you know. Maybe they harness the massive power of the Commodore 64 <laughs> in order to run it. I, you know, it's the only thing they could keep up. Well, that's true. I mean, uh, are, you know, because you have to wonder if IREM was keeping up with the Commodore. Or if it was because, keeping up with them, yeah. Uh, but uh, if you if you manage to then make it through uh, those five stages and have a percentage above ninety, or you get through the penalty zone, then you go to the real stage six, seven, and eight, which are the actual battle that uh, that you need to fight. Uh, and so that's kind of how the game progresses. Yeah, uh, I, overall, I was impressed with the gameplay, with you know the uh, driver's license <laughs> credentials and the uh, options or pods aside. It, it was was well thought out, and nothing sort of felt overpowered or uh, underpowered. In a weird way, the eight weapons that you have feel like they could be copied and pasted into a compile game you know the, the way that this is done and oh, the, the, I, you know well, option one with the original compile stuff like uh, number one is dual lasers do is that so uh, kudos to them for going the extra mile and actually doing a, a visual difference between the weapons right well, speaking of visuals, we should probably talk about the graphics, huh? <clears throat> yeah, what is it, as soon as I'm done coughing here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, <clears throat> yeah, the the graphics were nice and detailed. Uh, some of the areas are a little bit generic. I noticed that some of them were just a little bit distracting, too. Um, stage 2, in particular in the arcade, where it has a constantly looping uh, cityscape can be a little bit distracting. Yep. 
as you're going through, it's uh, I can't think of any other just out that have problems. But for the most part, things are pretty easy, well defined. I never had anything where I wonder where the heck a bullet came from, what was going on. Uh, stage five. In particular, it brings the uh, body horror theme of the Ge Geiger-esque of our type somewhat. It's not quite as strong, but it definitely shows its influences there. And then we have the Famicom part. Which I'm talking about. I describe this as originally a C64 game that was ported to the NES by Mindscape, which it really wasn't, but it, it feels very... <clears throat> underpowered for what the hardware can do and I I think that was because the, now I could be wrong on this but to my knowledge it doesn't have any uh, mapper chips to deal with this here I think Iron went with a straight up port and you just sort of left it there what you're left with is a port that feels less than the sum of its parts it, it for example, in uh, a lot of the stages, you're just on a blue background and your ship has a couple colors. And there, it really feels like it could be something on the Atari 5200. I, that may be a little too harsh. but Or in, maybe a... a uh, someone who watched the arcade game and then reprogrammed it for the Commodore 64. So, sort of like a, a lot of Ocean's takes on arcade games. I could see that. It, it, it's it's definitely its own thing, and it's not terrible. But if, if you're going and expecting, ooh, excitement, which, you know, looking at the front of the box, I don't know how anyone thought maybe thought excitement. I don't know what to make in the front of that box. But it, it, it's definitely muted. Right. Yeah, the... I'm talking about earlier, most of the stuff is pretty easy to see. Some of the stuff that were console limitations that, that can cause some problems. The PC Engine version, in my opinion, is the worst to play. Is they didn't shrink the sprites in order to match the play field as you're scrolling horizontally, and it just leads into situations where you're constantly squashed. It's like trying to play, play a uh, horizontal game, but it's in four by three. It, it just really feels weird, and you're constantly being hit by stuff you feel shouldn't have hit you. It, yeah, it is pretty neat that the. Uh, PC Engine version allows you to play as Mr. Heli. I mean, that's a plus for it, but it's probably not enough reason to buy it. If you're going to go for a version, either go for the really unique NES version or go for the arcade archives. I had a chance to mess around with the Saturn version a bit, and because the Saturn's resolution is higher than the lowest resolution by the PlayStation, they had to do some cropping. And that led to some interesting stuff, such as in stage one, where they fired the homing missiles at you. And the homing missiles were still considered in play, but you couldn't see them on screen. So a lot of times they come from behind you and blow them up. That was pretty annoying, unless you were playing in Tate mode. In the PlayStation version, from what I'm told, I haven't had a chance to play. 
with that version yet, but it, it doesn't have that issue. Did you uh, have a chance to play a couple of those, Guru? Yeah, I messed with the Saturn version earlier, and a uh, couple things that I noticed is that, uh, for one, there's some there was some graphical weirdness going on on the along the left side of the screen, and I don't know if that's one of those things where because I'm playing on my Saturn through the RetroTINK 5X and then to an LCD display, if it was because the the area that I saw along the left-hand side had some weirdness going on, maybe that would have been overscan on a CRT and wouldn't have been noticeable to most people. But I did I did see that. But overall, I think the Saturn version, for its time, looks, you know, looks pretty accurate to the arcade game, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I definitely agree there. The PlayStation version would probably have been the best out there, but then Saturn version closely behind there, at least until we got the Arcade Archives release. Right. And the Famicom version is just sort of its own thing. Yeah. But I will have to say for everything in there, it was, I never had any issues where I was wondering where the heck I was being shot from. Yeah, there was a few times that ha- that happened to me, but I think as I played it a little bit more, I I generally kind of learned where the hazards were and and stuff. The one the one part that I had difficulty with is in stage 5, and I guess this is more the Famicom version. Um because I don't know that I ever got to stage 5 in the arcade version, but there's a part in stage 5 where these enemies spawn at different points on around the screen, and if you don't know where they're going to spawn, there's not much of a visual indication of it before it happens, so they can kind of spawn right on top of you, and just you just die. <clears throat> so that's just something to be aware of. We call that the Dark Souls effect. Uh, right. So, yeah, the the other interesting thing, um, well, regarding the Famicom version, the Famicom version either intentionally or not has some safe spots. It, right. it does some weird stuff on there with the the stage one boss is really funny because it just sort of, you know, um, the, the, I'm going to reference Family Guy and it's probably about the only time I will... But when they had their Blue Harvest, where they originally had Star Wars, where he, he says, I'm going to watch these moves. And then here you go, what are those moves on there? You're just, you're just drifting lazily to the left. <laughs> He's doing stuff. It, it felt sort of that way with the first boss. The first boss was just sort of slowly going back and forth. Unless you try to go in the corner. If you went to the corner, it's like he just instantly took five shots of espresso and then he just moves and quickly destroys you. But if you stay below a certain spot, he just lazily moves to the left and to the right, and you can just take him out very easily. Right. And then the stage three boss, uh, I was having some difficulty with that one. Like, oh, this is going to be tough, tough, tough. And then I found the safe spot at the bottom of the screen. You just sit there firing away, nothing you could do. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was the weird part for that particular boss. So it definitely makes the NES version more approachable. Yeah, and uh, the other thing I'll mention with the NES version, the Stage 5 boss, 
it, it is huge. It wow. is bigger than we would have really expected a sprite to be. But it also moves extremely slow and is pretty easy to destroy as long as you have the backward fire in it. And I, I think that there's a little bit of a bug with the game there too. Is if you can't fire backwards in that game, I don't know how you're actually going to beat the game. For the, the stage 5 boss. I mean, if you have the blue options, what are you going to do? Yeah, I wonder if if you can get underneath it enough to use the pod firing attack. If that would penetrate that outer hull, maybe. But it's uh, it's pretty darn difficult to, and I, I think that's sort of what, what's a good way of. It's possible to recover, so it's not quite gradius effect in image fight, but darn, is it hard. In oh, RPG, yeah. you're going to have to be pinpoint precision. Yeah, the there's a late stage three checkpoint that is just brutal to recover from. And you know, if you happen to get the wrong thing on the wrong frame, where you actually going for a red and you actually get a blue, that could just screw you right up. Yep, big time. Um, we'll talk about the sound here just briefly. Uh, if you've played R-Type or any of the other games on the M72 hardware, then you know that the M72's sound hardware has what I will describe as a very sharp sound to it. Uh, and of course, Image Fight is no exception. So it's very trebly and a little bit shrill, but I think when done right, you know, the, the music can sound good. So, you know, I, I quite enjoyed the original R-Type soundtrack, and I'm kind of partial to the R-Type 2 soundtrack. Um, you know, I've got nostalgia for that because I played it as a kid. And there are other games that I think do do well with the hardware, such as Ninja Spirit or, uh, you know, a couple of the other shooting games that we mentioned at the top of the episode or earlier, you know. And generally speaking, I think the music in in Image Fight is is solid. You know, it's got a upbeat feel. Um and I think most of the what I'll call instruments, you know, the different sounds that they make with the hardware are are pretty solid for this game. There's a couple of bits that can be grating, but uh I think in general the the soundtrack to Image Fight is 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 solid enough. Um, yeah, if it's the arcade version, if it's the NES version, I don't know how many people got it past stage one because that music is ear bleedingly bad on stage one. Once you get past yeah. it, it's fine, but man, that it it really gives it pulls out a, it's uh, 1942 bells and whistles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an odd interpretation of the stage one theme in the NES version and I I don't know what they were thinking when they converted that over but they uh, they certainly did not do the song any favors in terms of sound effects it's very IREM you know you've got your kind of weak explosion sounds in a lot of ways but that is kind of par for the course with the R-Type games. And uh, there's a certain degree of crunchiness with 
some of the sound effects, but you get a lot of the more high-pitched, ringy kind of sounds. Um, and that's, that's typical of the M72 hardware. Did, uh, did anything in particular stand out to you? Uh, not really, aside from the stage one music that really turned me off quickly, but it, it was serviceable, but it wasn't anything where, I mean, right now I, I can play the uh, stage one R-type music in my head. It doesn't matter where it's playing coming from, it's, it sounds good. But Image yep. Fight, it, I don't think I'd listen to it out of the game. It's serviceable, I'm certainly, but it's not going to stick in my head. Yeah. And that's like R-Type 2. You know, I played so much R-Type 2 as a kid that I can I can whistle or hum the the Stage 1 theme from memory. But yeah, Image Fight just hasn't hasn't stuck with me that much. I know I was kind of humming and whistling some of it through the month, but it certainly pales in comparison to uh, a lot of other iconic game soundtracks from the time. Um, and as far as being standardized here, I, I think that the scoring is pretty standard. It's not anything, there's no routes that are going to give you better scoring on here. I, th- I think that the only thing that you could do to improve your scoring is what we talked about earlier by getting sent to the penalty zone and boosting up your score that way. I couldn't think of any other ways in the game to boost your score. Yeah, I, I'm not aware of any other tricks. Silly rabbit tricks are for kids. <laughs> So, what are your impressions of the game and ports overall? Um, I'm just going to be honest and come out and say it. This game is not for me. Um, I think there's a certain degree of brutal difficulty that I'm able to tolerate. And I think some of it is... when something is brutally difficult but doesn't feel insurmountable or when I can see that with every attempt I'm making or with every couple of attempts I'm making, I can see that I'm making an improvement or that uh, I can make these little adjustments here and there and do a little bit better next time. I never really got that sense with Image Fight. I always felt like, no matter what I did, uh, you know, oh, I go here, I'm going to die. Okay, so I'll go over here instead. Oh, no, I can't go there, I'm going to die. So I'll go do this instead. No, no, I can't do that either, I'm going to die. And that's just kind of how I felt the whole time playing it. Um, it was it was very discouraging, and uh, I don't know. I just I just never quite came to grips with the game. I feel like, as you said earlier, the the pod mechanic is is kind of underdeveloped. The firing of the pods is a little bit underdeveloped. I feel like they. Irem tried to do something new 
but they didn't commit fully is what it, it looks like from my outside perspective. You know, they, they kind of, they wanted to do something that was different from our type. You know, they, it's, it, it looks like they didn't want to just make vertical R type because they could have done that, but then they might've been accused of just resting on their laurels. So they kind of went halfway and they said, well, We'll do our type type uh, style of gameplay to some degree, but we'll change it up with some of the mechanics. But I don't feel like they did enough that was different to really set it apart. Other than this feels like our type but vertical, uh, and that's kind of what you get. But not only does it feel like our type but vertical, it feels like vertical our type but not as good. Um, there's a reason that people still play and talk about R-Type and rave about that game all these years later. And I don't get that with Image Fight. Now, I know there are some people who enjoy it. There was at least one person who came in while I was streaming the game who said, oh, I love this game. It's one of my favorites. Um, And, you know, that's good. I mean, I'm glad that there are people out there who enjoy this game and can can play it and get the most out of it. That's just not me. Uh, I was constantly frustrated by this game, and once I hit stage three, it's just a wall. And I was able to make it to to stage four eventually, but then again, I got to stage four. And then I was never able to progress past the boss. And I was just credit feeding. Uh, And I feel like this is maybe the time for me to resign myself to perhaps having to consider myself a casual player of IRM shooters. And what I mean by that is not looking at these games and thinking, oh, I should try and get a 1cc. No, that's probably not what I need to do. Now, maybe eventually I'll be able to find one that'll really quick click with me and I can, I can make that happen. But for now, I think I just need to play and play casual and enjoy as best I can Try not to get frustrated when I'm stuck at a particular checkpoint for 35 or 40 minutes. And just try to learn and grow and adapt uh, and, and just do that. If I ever were to get good enough at any single IREM game that I feel like I could make an attempt for a 1cc... Um, I can I can safely say that Image Fight is not that game uh, because I just don't enjoy it enough either aesthetically or gameplay wise or mechanics or music or any of those elements. I don't enjoy any of them enough to want to come back to this to try and make this my my uh, my first official IREM One CC. I could see doing that with R-Type Leo or with Delta 
or perhaps even uh, with um, uh, In the Hunt, you know. But this game, I don't know. It, it just didn't click with me in the way that I was hoping maybe it would. Uh, I knew this game was difficult going into the month, but I thought maybe maybe this will will uh, click with me a little bit more than some of the R-Types games have in the past. But no, just the opposite. Th- this actually reinforces the fact that I like R-Type and R-Type 2 better, uh, in part because of the nostalgia value, but also because... Um, I feel like they're better designed games. Uh, and I feel like this one is not as well realized as either of those. So that's where I'm at. I, I just feel like, um, I feel like I image fight is just not, is just not for me. I appreciate what they were trying to do, but I don't feel like they went all the way with it. And as a result, it just didn't it just didn't grab me and other than maybe going back to the NES version because it's more approachable i don't see myself coming back to this game what about you me well i wouldn't rate it in my favorites either but i Something about it that makes me coming back to it. I don't. It's not a love it or and it's not a hate it pile for me. I I think that I like the arcade version. I think that the NES or Famicom version is an interesting curiosity. It is certainly difficult, no doubt about it, and it it is definitely I hear him hard. It's it, uh, I think as you put it earlier, it beats your up takes your lunch money and then comes back later to beat you up again. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I mean every every arcade game, I kind of articulated that on stream. Every arcade game wants to take your money. Image Fight beats you up on the playground to take your lunch money and then or your milk money and then uh spits in your face and then and then picks a fight with you again after school you know, to beat you up again. But as far as image fight goes, I think it is something that, well, well, quite difficult. It is its own unique thing. And I think that finding something like this is hard to do. So I think it's unique. It's interesting. And those looking for a definite old school challenge will be able to get some enjoyment out of it. It, you know, it will appeal to the same crowd who master Gradius three or Gradius one there, or people who are can once you see their way through R type or R type two. And I, I don't think that's entirely for me, but I definitely see the appeal in playing through the game. And there's certain little tricks and stuff that you can do in order to help you out. I, I like it. I just don't like that style as much as I like Domagos right now, so it's not my. You no, know, I have to keep tr- keep going and keep trying. And I, I would say, yeah, I would say, if you, if you're gonna try it again, try the Famicom version. So you know, out of curiosity, but 
if you're going to really play it and learn to route it and everything else, play the Arcade Archives version. Yeah. Especially since the Saturn version is $200 plus. Oh, yeah. If you're going to play only one IRM arcade title this year, make it Image Fight. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, now that we've given our thoughts on the game, let's switch over to those from the RFGen community. The first thought comes to us from Gollum. I cracked open Image Fight and Switch tonight and credit fed up to the Stage 4 boss. It feels good to be playing a checkpoint shooter again. Right now, the Stage 4 boss seems impossible. Later post, the way you aim the pods is cool, and the speed risk reward is neat too. At higher speeds, it's harder to aim since tapping the aim will move you farther, but then it's easier to dodge. I've credit fed the first three stages a few times, and I can't figure out the Stage 4 boss. I've experimented with different speeds, pods, and power-ups. The only solution I found is just to skip the boss altogether. Even with a quick kill, I still got hit. I was saved by having a power-up to shield me. Also, there's a ton to shoot in this game. I don't know how anyone would have played this on original arcade hardware. I get that the button's easier to tap than pads, but even then, man. Later post, stages 7 and 8 are not that bad. To this game's credit, you can easily clear the game from the final chuck point. Unlike our type. I don't know I'll be done with this game by the end of the month. When I use the stage select to get to stage 6, I get extra enemies that aren't normally there. Namely, it's the enemies that shoot slow down bubbles. I'm pretty sure I'm not picking loop 2 by accident, but I'm not sure what else it could be. Yeah, stage 4 is a stopping point for a lot of people. Is you really have to know what you're doing with the pods or the options and be able to use those to the full advantage and even within the stage itself right it's like one of the rare situations where you have to switch between the blue and the red you start off early with the blue and then you switch over to the red and you keep going at about maybe three-fourths of the way through yeah and one thing i want to mention is Gollum posted uh, a Twitter link in on the forum, and it was actually to a tweet that that uh, he posted about this uh, with a video of the stage four boss and showing that quick kill. And yeah, he had three red pods, and then he had that um, forty-five degree angled bouncy shot that I mentioned on the front of the ship, and so he got the ship set up on the left side of the screen, basically right next to where the boss came down, had all three pods facing to the right, and then was able to take the boss out. But even doing that, with all the missiles that came down from that boss, you know, at least one of them hit the that front uh, weapon force and took that out. So you still took a hit doing that, but was able to take out the boss and uh, make that work. So that is a strategy against the Stage 4 boss if you uh, if you uh, end up making it that far. So uh, follow him on Twitter at GollumLIV if you want to check that out. Uh, Fomacho said, uh, I've put in a few credits into this already and I'm really enjoying it. I'm in. Uh, later in the thread... 
It says, uh, I get what Gollum means. When set to higher speeds, your movement to aim the red pods will carry you across more of the screen than on a lower speed. For stage four, it's my experience that this is one spot where all blue pods is desirable, but that quick kill is good too. I clear out all the sky blue destructible matter that I can, then just focus on dodging the missiles. The four forward guns will get their hits in and eventually kill the boss. Now the stage three boss is the one that has me scratching my head. I just go for a quick kill positioned in the upper left and hope for some luck. The snake lasers have a tell for a moment before they fire so you can get out of the way, but there are just not a lot of safe spots on the screen. If you're playing the Arcade Archives release, try to credit feed all the way through. Stage select unlocks after a clear, which I was surprised by. Which is a nice feature, by the way. Uh, later in the thread, uh, Fomacho says, Hi, Aeroviper, welcome. How are you finding the Saturn version? So far, I think it's a bit tougher than the Arcade Archives version due to the reduced screen real estate. I hope to try it more in Tate mode before the end of the month. What's everyone's input of choice? I felt D-pad is not good for this game since you have all those extra angles you can position the red pods at. Uh, 16 ways? I've been playing a lot handheld with the flip grip, and honestly, the tiny analog nub is working better for me than the analog stick or D-pad on the Pro Controller. My mini arcade stick has a faulty down-direction microswitch, so it's out of commission for the moment. I've made it to stage 4 on one credit. And he provides a score there. Now maybe you've figured this out already, uh, and he was addressing me, but that one power on level 3 sucks because you have rapid fire on. And I think he was talking about the barrier one. The special component is called barrier, and with auto fire off, if you hold shoot, it creates a damaging barrier in front of you. Haven't been able to bring it all the way to the boss yet to see what it can do. And then for final thoughts, Fomacho says, Interesting game. Well made, but with just enough faults that limits what could have been. The pot attack. They created this feature, but then never created the need for it. If the pods attack behind instead of forward, now that would be huge. Uh, variable speed, a great option, but I spent 90% of the game at speed 2. I drop it down to speed 1 during the stage 5 boss, but that's about it. Pod colors. For me, there was very little use for blue. If the pod was if the pod attack was different, then the blue pods would have been more interesting. The difficulty spike of the last checkpoint of stage 3 is really something. Enemies and attacks from every direction and then stages 4 and 5 are a bit more manageable. Lots of criticism, but it's constructive. I enjoyed the game a lot, I just feel like there are some underbaked features and ideas. And yeah, I would echo Fomacho's sentiment on the uh, final checkpoint of stage 3, and generally in terms of the, the criticisms, I, I, I kind of echo those as well. I, I also mostly spent uh, the bulk of my time with the game on speed 2. Yeah, speed two or speed three in some spots. Uh, stage three, you're mostly wanting to kick it down to speed two. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I think that everyone here so far has shared a Simmons where 
It's definitely a decent game. It just could use a little bit more time in the oven for regarding some of the design choices. Yeah. Yep. Alright, our ne- last, next and last comment is from Arrow Viper. This will be the first time I'm joining the Shmup Club. Hello, and thank you for joining. I've had Image Fight and X Multiply on the Saturn for a while now, but haven't fired it up yet. Tried it today for the first time and got to stage 3. That's pretty impressive. Congratulations. I'm really liking it so far, although the boss fights are way too short. Hopefully they get better in the game. Looking forward to making some progress during the rest of the month, even though I'm in late. Later post. I wish I had more time in the month playing. Really, I like this game. I can now pretty easily get to stage 4 in one life, but I've only been in that stage one time on one credit. I'll definitely play this game more and hopefully beat the first five stages on a credit. Congratulations again, that's pretty hard to do. The Saturn version plays really well, I think. I have nothing to compare it to, so I don't know. Nice to get more features, though. It's basically just a port of the arcade. Yeah, the the features were pretty lackluster. I'm sure the arcade archives release had a lot more to deal with. You mentioned stage select. I don't even think that was in the Saturn version. But hey, it had Tate support, which was pretty incredible for 1997, right? So, right. Take what you can get. Yeah, the Saturn port is definitely not the worst way to play it. It's definitely serviceable. PlayStation and the uh, arcade archives would be more preferable, but still, that, that that's a uh, pretty good way. One of the other things I forgot to mention with the Saturn version is you can actually force it to scroll enemies before they're supposed to in a weird way. I, I noticed in the stage one where there's uh, an enemy that comes down through the middle and then you have the two shifts at the side. It's like right after the sort of like what would be the middle of the, of the stage and then you have a ship coming like one of those ships that shoots the big cannons coming up on the left hand side if you're in the upper left hand corner for some reason it like triggers the auto scrolling and it launches it brings like five or six enemies in the screen at once and it's mm. really hard to deal with so uh, I don't know if that's a limitation of the Saturn and the way it deals with resolution drawing in the sprites or if the uh, or if it's just sort of a bug of you being too far up the screen hmm interesting alright so who got the high scores for the month well we only had one high score posted in the in the thread which was Fomacho with 192,200 points. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't make that high of a score, at least not on the arcade version. <laughs> might have might, might have done decent on the NES version, but yeah, I didn't get anywhere close to that. Yeah, I, I don't think that I got anywhere close to that either, but so congratulations, and you know, it, it's... Definitely a hard game, so don't feel too bad. Alright, so final thoughts here. What are your final thoughts on Image Fight? Well, I mean, I kind of already spoke my piece to an extent, but yeah, basically, this is a solid enough game that I feel following our type is... maybe a half a step back 
it doesn't feel like they fully committed to some of the ideas that they had and um, and as a result the game doesn't innovate in the way that you would hope that it would after the innovation that was the the force pod and the weapon system in the original R-Type. So I think you're left with something that is a workmanlike effort. It gets the job done, but it it's not inspiring in my mind. Um, I know there are others who enjoy it, and that's great, but this is just not a game for me, and I, it's not one that I see myself coming back to. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I, I think I'll echo a lot of those statements where I, I definitely enjoy it, and I think that it's something that is not commonly referred to or talked about, especially because it really wasn't very well known in the West, right? I mean, the only way that anyone would have known about it is either to import at one of the ports or to try the original Japanese arcade, or maybe somehow they uh, found a lot of enjoyment out of the NES port. So it's not really well known, and it's something that is going to be appeal a lot more to anyone who likes Gradius or R-Type or a lot of the older style shmups are really difficult memorization heavy. And I, I think that a lot of the ideas are pretty well done, but there's still definitely some room for improvement. It feels like it could use a little bit more time in the oven. Right. But, but for what it is, it's certainly a genuinely good effort. It's not something that is going to make you bang your head against the wall like Gradius 3 Arcade and it's brutal difficulty. But it's not something that is going to make you constantly come back and say just one more try for most people. I hate to use this word, but you could almost say it's a hidden gem. It's one of those things that most people haven't tried that it's definitely worth trying to see if it's for you. Despite its flaws. I would agree. So, now that we've left the images of uh, shmups past behind us let's look towards the future <laughs> and for, for March 2022 we have Salamander and Life Force which are always good titles and I've had a chance to play a little bit of the Japanese arcade version and I, I'm already enjoying that a heck of a lot more than the US arcade version I like the ability to just sort of give the options right up front without having to select them I don't I understand why they abandoned it, but man, it's so much nicer in the Japanese version, in my opinion. Yeah, and I... It'll be interesting as we continue to go throughout the month to sort of compare the uh, the different versions. Um, I don't think they're vastly different, but uh, but there definitely are some, some things that really separate... Um, the two different branches, I guess I'll say. So that'll be that'll be an interesting conversation next month. Um, and then in April, we go isometric for the first time since Zexon with Viewpoint. So bust out yeah. your Neo Geo CDs and MVS and AES. Right. Yeah, and this is 
this was a little bit of a um, a little bit of a self-serving pick. April is my birthday month. I decided I wanted to play this game. Now that I finally have a Neo Geo CD and I've got a copy of Viewpoint, I thought, well, in addition to the Sega Genesis version and the PlayStation version, I can finally sit down and play these and compare them and, um, you know, talk about them. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, Viewpoint is one that I've been wanting to, to tackle for a while. And I'm glad that we're finally doing a Neo Geo game. Yeah, I know why you want to play it on the Neo Geo CD. It gives you a good opportunity to take a nap. A nap? Yeah. That's what, oh. the, that's what the load times in the Neo Geo CD are for. Yeah, but the load times in that game are not bad. Plus, how could anyone take a nap with that banger of a soundtrack? <laughs> True. Indeed. And, and speaking of soundtracks, well, I'd like to thank Ed of Studio Mudprints and Bullet Heaven for the logo and keep us entertained with the ongoing music. Hopefully he's got a new album coming out soon. I'd like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music. Everyone from the RF Gen Playcast and Collector Cast, as well as everyone who joined us. And thank you for all those who listen. And I'd like to thank MetalFro for streaming and uh, hashtag ParrotDog. <laughs> yes. Or the hash brown parrot dog. <laughs> hash brown, yes. <laughs> oh, alrighty. Well, uh, one thing I want to make sure and mention um, as we record this, we are literally the night before Shmup, Shmup Slam 5. And so by the time this episode is edited and out, Shmup Slam will be over and done with probably for multiple days. But you'll be able to go and watch the replays and uh, most of the runs, uh, hopefully within a week or two of Shmup Slam 5 being done. In particular... Uh, the run that Ed is going to be doing of Star Fox. And like last year, where he played UN Squadron on the Super Famicom, uh, one-handed with the ASCII Super L5 controller, he's going to be doing the same thing with Star Fox, one-handed. And so Mark MSX and I will be doing commentary for that run. Uh, but the whole event should be great, so... If uh, if you're not already aware of it, which you should be, or you uh, maybe didn't have a chance to catch all of the runs live, Mark will have a lot of that stuff on his YouTube channel uh, in the coming days after the event is done, once he kind of gets through all the, the stuff and is able to parse that out. So, so uh, my, my only concern is, are, is your commentary going to have subtitles? Because I... I could imagine anyone being able to translate blah, 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 well. <laughs> in full real time. Well, I, I can tell you that I will not be speaking in uh, either Slippy or Falco or Fox. You know, any of those, uh, any of those languages. I will be speaking in plain English oh, as okay. much as I can. That's good. So, yeah. Although, I may have to slip in a, good luck. Do a barrel. <laughs> is, is that where you contribute to it on there? 
You should put him there for I'll contribute five dollars <laughs> to if he does a barrel roll. <laughs> oh, he'll be doing some. Is that where put put, put my bits? Yeah. Although I'm gonna be that guy and be pedantic about it and say, in the game it's called a barrel roll, but in in actual fact it's an aileron roll. So you know, Nintendo got that one wrong. But that's okay. It's just a game. It's meme-tastic. That's right. All right. Well, anyway, uh, is there anything else that we need to plug or touch on before we fi- we finish up? Yeah, uh, I have to say that uh, we're getting so close to the summer of uh, coffee and crystals here. It's uh, going to be great. We'll be, we'll be flying red jets all over the place and there might even be some lightning some thunder yep and uh some blue jets if uh you know there's some co-op going on and some toothpaste lasers yes so uh we'll have a we'll have an official announcement to make soon but i think uh those of you who are astute listeners will probably already have some idea of what we're cooking up So, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next month.